when I look back at you know the 2009 recession, the five-year moved essentially 160 basis points coming out of that recession. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. As the earnings season comes into focus, advisors may be grappling with stretched equity valuations and what it means for their client portfolios. In today's episode, Chris McKinney and Alfred Lee, along with your host, Mark Rays, analyze the implications of high P.E. ratios. They also look at five-year bond yields and discuss solutions to mitigate the risk of near-term inflation. Before we hear from our experts, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hello, and welcome to the BMO Global Asset Management weekly ETF call, where we're joined by your team of experts. I'm your host, Mark Race, head of product for BMO Game Canada, covering ETFs and funds. Our PMs joining us today are Chris McKinney and Alfred Lee, both portfolio managers on our ETF desk. Chris focuses on equity and derivative strategies, while Alfred focuses on fixed income and preferred shares. Well, let's get started. I want to talk about market valuations off the top. As we continue to have conversations with advisors around market levels, and I think a lot of this comes from when you look at P.E. ratios, not to mention market highs, but with the TSX at a P.E. of around 28, S&P 500 a bit higher at 33, the NASDAQ even higher around 40, advisors keep thinking about the price. But is that the right thing to be focused on right now? Um, Because really, it might be more of the E or the earnings. What are your view on earnings? Can you give us an update? And maybe to help help us out, put it in perspective relative to the 2008-2009 period. So does this market look overvalued to you, or is there still opportunity ahead? Sure. And maybe we'll start with, um, you know, the earnings part of, of that question that you had since uh, you know, in the U.S. the earnings reporting is kicking off. Um, and by all accounts, you know, we do expect strong earnings, a strong earnings season overall. Um, and, you know, as I mentioned, we have seen earnings kick off with some of the U.S. banks, Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, and even Wells Fargo delivering what at, at first look anyway look like very strong numbers. Um, you know, part of part of that though is that these strong numbers were somewhat expected. So the expectations going into this earnings season are very high, um, and so there's probably not too much margin for error for some of these companies to report. Um, and even when you get very strong numbers, um, you know, there's potentially not too too much upside um, left in the market unless these earnings can continue to grow on a sustainable basis going forward. Um, you know, relative to 2009, though, we certainly are in a different backdrop in terms of, you know, this economic reacceleration that we're, that we're entering into, this period of regrowth um, that we're about to enter into. And, you know, the biggest difference, uh, obviously, is that the consumer right now is actually in a very, very good position. Uh, you know, in 2009, 
2008-2009 was a deleveraging scenario. It was a credit crisis. Um, money was not being lent, and in fact, consumers and businesses were deleveraging, paying down debt. Fast forward to 2021, it's a very different scenario where the demand from consumers is there. Um, it's just that they haven't been allowed to spend it, right? Because of um, closures and, and things like that, you know, consumer demand never really went away. Um, it's more or less just been suspended um, because certain industries are almost completely closed. Others can only operate um, to a certain degree. And so there's a lot of pent up demand from the consumer. And that, and once we do see um, safe reopening of economies, um, a lot of that money will, will start flowing into goods and services. So that's really the difference between 2009 and, and 2021 is that even though there are high expectations for earnings, there is a possibility that, that those earnings will continue to grow um, you know, going forward. One thing I would you know, maybe caution investors about, though, is you know, going back to that PE and the price earnings level, um, you know, even if we do expect earnings to continue to grow and, and sort of to reduce that, that PE ratio, um, you know, with yields starting to come back up a little bit on the fixed income side, you know, that trade-off you're getting from that earnings yield, you know, if you take a look at the PE sort of uh, the opposite way, the E over P, that's an earnings yield that you're getting from uh, investing in the equity markets. That E over P, that earnings yield is actually a relatively low right now, um, whereas that fixed income yield is starting to come back up from the bottom, certainly still very low. Um, in terms of in terms of where it has been historically, but not as low as it was um, throughout much of 2020. And so that trade-off between earnings growth, earnings yield, and the fixed income market is starting to get a little bit closer. So we don't have, I would say, a huge amount of upside left in the equity markets unless, again, we see sustained earnings growth um, going forward. But at the same time, it's still at a higher level than, than what fixed income is giving you, of course. Um, you know, I think part of the other part of the reason why PEs are so high is that we have had pretty decent equity performance so far in 2021. You know, if I told you at the beginning of the year that equity markets would deliver you about 15% total return, that would sound like a pretty good number. Um, but we're already up about 10, 11%. So, um, you know, if you are expecting about 15%, that, that indicates there's probably only 4 or 5% of upside left in the equity markets. Um, before the end of this year. So it's not a huge number, um, but it's still obviously a positive number and still above what fixed income gets you. So, you know, I would, I would advise investors to probably be cautiously optimistic at this point um, with equities. I certainly wouldn't be, you know, going all in and adding a whole bunch more to my equity allocation here at this point. Um, but, you know, if you do see a 10% correction, which we think is, you know, correction later this year at some point, um, certainly likely or, or possible, um, you know, that would just, I think, make equities look even that much more attractive. And so, you know, you know stay cautiously optimistic. Um, if you do see a pullback, I would, I would suggest that's probably a buying opportunity um, to, to allocate any uh, unallocated capital at that point and, and continue um, to ride that, those equities. Again, on the expectation that earnings will continue to grow, we're probably going to see a couple of very, very strong years uh, in terms of economic growth and earnings growth as well. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. Uh, Alfred, I'm going to come your way now. We know that the yield curve, of course, has steepened, but looking specifically at the five-year, we've seen a year-to-date move, uh, call it around 50 basis points to just under 1%. Uh, 
So considering that the rate reset preferred share market, the ZP, ZPR or ETF, is, is so focused in on the five-year, and of course the positive price impact that this change has had, does this move look aggressive to you or in line with expectations? Thanks. Um, you know, I don't think neither of the move in interest rates or preferred shares has been um, overly aggressive at this point. You know, you know when, when we look at the uh, interest rate move in the five-year, um, you know, you mentioned it's been up about 50 basis points here to date. Uh, typically, that's not too uncommon coming off of a market bottom. Um, when I look back at, you know, the 2009 recession, uh, the five-year moved essentially 160 basis points coming off of coming out of that recession. So, you know, as I mentioned, it's not too uncommon to see these massive moves in, in bond yields uh, coming off the market bottom. Uh, typically, is a good sign that the economic recovery is underway. Um, and the market expects some kind of tightening in monetary policy down the road. So when we look at, you know, let's say, you know, the Bank of Canada and its, you know, treatment in terms of the asset purchase programs, uh, they've essentially, you know, announced a couple of weeks ago that, you know, they're going to discontinue their asset purchase programs um, as scheduled. So uh, when you compare that to their counterparts, such as the Federal Reserve or the ECB, uh, the Bank of Canada, in terms of their, you know, practices overall, it's, it's been a lot more conservative. Um, another item that I think is going to factor into higher, higher rates is going to be inflation. Um, so we've talked about inflation a number of times on, on the call, but you know, yesterday was uh, a, new, a, a new item uh, that you know, potentially adds to the inflation story. Uh, even, th- even though it was down in the U.S., uh, the U.S. CPI number came in at 2.6%, uh, a little bit higher than expected. Uh, but I think what we're going to start hearing more and more about is, is what's called the base effect. Uh, so that's essentially... You know, result of taking a year-over-year number in the CPI where the year-ago number was essentially the market bottom or, or the onset of the corona, coronavirus pandemic. Um, so what we're likely going to see is start, we're going to start seeing CPI numbers come in you know, higher than expected, even in Canada, because of that base effect. Um, so you know, down the road, I think you know, uh, over the next couple of months, we could see uh, interest rates moderate to a point. But I think you know, as the economy starts opening up um, and as we start potentially start seeing, you know, higher CPI numbers, um, we can potentially start seeing, you know, interest rates move up in the back half of the year. Um, in terms of ZPR, in terms of uh, preferred shares, I don't think the move in preferred shares has been, you know, aggressive at, at all. So when, you know, when I look at uh, the asset class and, um, you know, the, the tailwinds in, in, in preferred shares, um, you know, I think rising rates has only been half the story. I think a lot of people have, well, certainly been rotating in rate resets to offset traditional risk in the portfolio, such as duration risk. But when you look at the interest rate environment, um, even though we've had an uptick in, in interest rates over the last, you know, let's call it two to three months, um, a lot of people are hungry for yield right now. When you look at preferred shares, it's investment grade. Um, it's tax efficient given that it pays dividends and not interest income. Uh, so there is a lot of demand. Um, and then when we look at you know, the supply and demand imbalance caused by the introduction of the LRCN bonds, um, it's, it's uh, created a lot more stability in the asset class, which I think uh, gives a lot of people much, you know, much more confidence in the asset class in general. So, you know, overall, when it comes to, you know, the move in interest rates and preferred shares, um, I don't think it's been aggressive at all. Thanks for that, Alfred. Let's uh, switch back to equity. So, Chris, come back to you on emerging markets. Because last year we spoke quite a bit about ZEM, our Emerging Market ETF. Uh, but this year we've seen a pullback a bit 
at least in comparison to the Canadian market, looking at our ZCN ETF, has something changed for you in the EM outlook, or do you view this uh, as a bit more of a temporary setback? Thanks. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things going on in, in emerging markets, and in particular, mostly in, in, in China as well, which makes up a good portion of the emerging market index that has caused a couple of headwinds here. You know, typically, you do see a lot of the similar drivers that would move ZCN Canada and ZEM uh, emerging markets kind of moving together. Um, and, you know, actually to start the year, emerging markets were posting very, very strong um, returns. And, and that's probably come back probably in the last, we'll call it two months or so, where we've seen a, a bit of a pullback in some of the more broader uh, developed markets pull ahead in, in terms of performance. Um, again, I, I think what emerging markets have been facing are, are largely a couple of headwinds, largely to do with China. Um, you know, China makes up about one third of the overall uh, emerging market index. And, you know, we did see some of these um, Chinese um, sort of internet companies um, as part of that Arcagus uh, hedge fund blow up, you know, a couple of those stocks were, were caught up in that and were sold down significantly um, and, and haven't yet recovered. And so I think that is start, that has weighed a little bit on emerging markets because those have been very, very, very large companies um, that have that have had their performance driven down, you know, maybe 20, 30 percent in some cases over the last couple of months. And so I think that's been one of the headwinds. And I think a couple of the others have been, um, you know, increased regulatory scrutiny, both from the U.S., um, but also from China as well. And so the U.S. looking at, um, you know, Chinese or all, all foreign listed companies, uh, foreign companies that are listed in the U.S., um, you know, largely those are Chinese companies, at least the larger ones. Um, and just making sure, you know, potential increased regulation or increased scrutiny or, um, you know, uh, taking a look at existing regulations and just applying them more rigorously. And so I think there's been um, some headwinds there with, with concern around what that might mean for some of these uh, U.S. listed Chinese stocks. Um, and then as well, we've seen um, the Chinese regulators as well, <clears throat> excuse me, looking at, um, you know, uh, Ant Financial in particular is, is the big name, Jack Ma's company, uh, financial company, looking to be a bit more regulated as a financial entity now. And so that will have a little bit more scrutiny on it as well. So there's been a couple of these headwinds that have worked against some of these Chinese companies. And I think also, you know, bringing it back to that uh, discussion around earnings, uh, PE earn, uh, ratios and and, and valuations, I think valuations did start to get ahead of themselves a little bit um, in the emerging market space. And, and some of those concerns have, have caused a little bit of a pullback here as well. Um, so I think, you know, going forward, it might actually be a, a fairly decent entry point for emerging markets. You know, as I was saying with some of the major markets earlier, um, you might only get a few percent uh, of growth for the remainder of the year. Um, if there's a 10% pullback, I would certainly look to invest um, in some of those major markets. Um, and it looks like, you know, the emerging markets has, has already brought that 10% pullback. They've, they've had that pullback and valuations do look a little bit more um, in line with, with history now. And so it could be a, a pretty decent entry point for emerging markets. We think a lot of the same drivers long-term are still there. You know, economic growth globally does tend to benefit emerging markets. 
Um, and again, it's, it's very broadly diversified across different uh, countries as well. So there's a few different drivers that, that are at play now in, in emerging markets. It's not the same as it was maybe 10 years ago. Um, but we do think emerging markets, that thesis still holds. And again, with this you know, 10, 12% pullback that we've seen, probably a fairly decent entry point. Um, if, if there's been someone on the sidelines taking a look at it, um, this, this might be a good place to, to get that exposure on. You're listening to Views from the Desk, a weekly edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. If you're enjoying today's discussion, we encourage you to check out our deep dive episodes where we take you under the hood of BMO GAM's product suite. Check out episode 58 in this same podcast series where we take a deeper look at BMO's suite of innovation ETFs, which build on megatrends like clean energy, fintech, genomics, autonomous technology, and next generation internet. Fascinating themes with long-term exponential growth potential. Alfred, going to come back to you now on fixed income. Can you give us your views on investment-grade corporate bonds uh, and how to consider investing now that spreads have really reverted back to their pre-COVID levels? Thanks. Yeah, that's a that's a good question. That's a you know a common question that we've been getting on the desk lately. Uh, given that you know, as you mentioned, uh, credit spreads, especially in the investment-grade space, has essentially, you know, gone to pre-COVID levels. So when we look at CDX investment grade, just as a proxy for the U.S. investment grade market, it's about 51 basis points right now. Uh, so pre-COVID, it was, you know, 44 basis points, which, you know, at that time, it was it was an all-time tight. So um, definitely, you know, there's not a lot of, um, you know, spread compression opportunities in, in investment grade right now. Uh, the Canadian investment grade, there's a little bit more juice to squeeze there, I would say. Uh, in terms of, you know, where where credit spreads are right now in the cash market, it's about 120 basis points. Uh, Pre-COVID, it was 95 basis points, so definitely a lot more room there. Uh, but where I think there's a lot more opportunities is the triple B space. So uh, when I look at the Canadian uh, investment grade, triple B space, it's about 160 basis points above federal bonds right now. Uh, Pre-COVID, it was 130 basis points. Uh, but back, you know, when I look at it historically, uh, back in 2007, it got as tight as 84 basis points. But, you know, obviously, just as a refresher, in 2007, uh, the macroeconomic backdrop was very different back then. It was, uh, you know, that was the peak of the commodity super cycle where we had, you know, $100 plus oil prices. Um, so, you know, you could definitely make the case that, you know, spreads aren't going to get to, um, you know, what we saw in 2007 or 2008 or 2009. Um, but, you know, we've definitely been hearing, you know, rumblings of, you know, new super cycles starting to emerge uh, just because the, you know, the amount of stimulus that is put in place and the amount of stimulus stimulus that has been dedicated to infrastructure spending as well, which is going to place a need for, uh, you know, raw materials such as oil as well. Um, so, you know, I don't know if I necessarily buy into the new super cycle argument, but you could definitely make a case for uh, higher oil prices in, in the next, you know, year, year and a half. Uh, so when you look at oil supply levels, you definitely haven't re- um, returned to pre-COVID levels. So when you look at something like, let's say, the Baker Hughes oil rig, oil rig count, um, it's roughly about half of you know pre-COVID levels. So um, there is an indication that you know if demand starts to come on, um, supply is not going to be able to keep up with with demand. And when we when we look at you know the vaccination rollout. Um, there's potentially a lot of unlocked uh, pent-up demand in, in oil, for example. So, uh, you know, with the vaccination rollout, you can have a lot more people, you know, returning to the office, 
a lot more demand for travel, which is going to be, you know, place a lot more demand for oil in general. Uh, and overall, I think that's going to be a good news story for the Canadian economy in general. Um, so overall, that's going to be good for Canadian credit. So especially the triple B space. So when I look at ZBBB, which is our uh, triple B ETF, uh, it's 32% in energy. Um, so a higher oil price is definitely going to be good for uh, that ETF. But it also has a lot of indirect exposure in oil as well. So it's 19% in financials. Uh, so high oil oil prices is, is going to be good for not just banking, but the investment banking sectors of um, of the bank exposure as well. And, and even the real estate names, uh, such as Artists and Allied, which have, you know, a good exposure to the western uh, part of Canada. So that oil boom is going to be good for a lot of those real estate names uh, in that triple B. So uh, overall, I would say I still like credit. It's a good way to offset uh, duration risk in the portfolio. Uh, when you look at duration risk and credit risk, most of the time they tend to be negatively correlated. And I think when you look at, you know, throughout the year, I think you know the bigger threat is rising rates right now. And I think that's uh, what investors have to um, mitigate in their portfolio. And I think credit exposure is a good way to, you know, partially offset that risk. So um, at this point, I think investors definitely need to be a lot more selective when it comes to investing in credit. Um, but right now, I like the Canadian dollar space better. Uh, especially the Z triple or the uh, triple B space. Great, thanks for that, Alfred. I know certainly a lot of questions coming in our way about how to best play uh, credit. Exactly as you said, a little bit worried still on duration. So what's good about Z triple B is you, of course, are getting that shorter duration alongside uh, that that credit exposure. Uh, so very valuable for for advisors looking to. Put that trade into into play, where you've got the duration of call it around four and a half years on that uh, ETF. So at this point, I would like to check if there are questions on the line for Chris and Alfred. Yeah, hi, good morning, guys. Thanks for the update. Really appreciate it. Um, my question is on ZGI. Uh, so ZGI broke out of its trading range recently. But uh, it still hasn't fully recovered uh, since the 2020 correction. Just wondering if you could uh, shed a little insight on why and also on your outlook on infrastructure going forward. Thank you. Sure, I can take that one. And, you know, I think um, infrastructure is one of those things where um, you know, I think investors have to remember um, it's, it's more of a steady, uh, steady as she goes type of investment. You're not going to get huge, huge growth, but at the same time, uh, you should get consistent growth. And so I think uh, while it is nice to see that, uh, as you mentioned, a little bit of a breakout uh, in recent months, um, you know, you shouldn't expect, you know, 20, 30, 40 percent returns out of this ETF, but you should expect consistent returns that generally is a little less correlated uh, to the broader market. And so that's why we think it's such a great building block um, for portfolios to reduce that overall volatility and add that uncorrelated return stream. Um, I think, you know, what we've seen is that little bit of a breakout coming because of the uh, infrastructure spending plan that, that was announced south of the border. Um, you know, we saw this fund actually pop a little bit right after the U.S. election, probably on anticipation that something like this would be coming. Um, and I think, you know, overall, um, you know, this spending announcement is, is very, very strong for, for infrastructure for, for the long term. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, whether it's $2 trillion that ends up being spent on, on infrastructure or what the ultimate 
uh, bill uh, ends up looking like, you know, maybe even if it was only half of that, you know, if you mentioned a couple of years ago that there would be a trillion dollars spent on infrastructure, I think most investors would think that's very bullish for, for the sector and, and for ZGI as well. Um, and so I think, you know, it's just very good news for, for this um, type of exposure that there will likely be some sort of significant investment coming from the U.S. Um, in terms of, you know, building out uh, infrastructure. I think, you know, some of the questions that still remain are, are what's included in that. I think Joe Biden has spent a lot of time trying to expand what the definition of, of infrastructure means, um, but certainly things like ports, pipelines, um, and 5G infrastructure are, are, are all things that he's talked about, and those are all things that are part of ZGI uh, in terms of uh, the companies that are held in there and the exposures that they have. And so I think you know significant investment in this area um, is probably strong for the overall economy, but also very good for, for infrastructure in general. And so you know I would think this is a good allocation to make. Again, as I mentioned previously, just for those portfolio construction purposes, that low correlation, that consistent return stream, um, and and overall largely uh, a hedge against inflation as well. If inflation is a concern, but then also you have this huge tailwind of this significant spending plan that ultimately uh, looks like it in some shape or form will be passed in the U.S. Um, we think that's a, a, a great tailwind for this uh, this uh, exposure going forward. Hi, good morning. My uh, question this morning is on the industrial sector. Uh, I know you've talked about some reopening trade ideas, and I'm curious to know your thoughts with potentially more economic strength through the second half of 2021. Can you just share your thoughts around this sector, the industrials and outlook on, I know you have an ETF ZIN with equal weight exposure. Appreciate uh, any insights you may have. Thank you. Yeah, industrials are, are a great way to play uh, the reopening trade, uh, so to speak. You know, in, in, in industrial uh, companies are highly levered to economic growth and economic activity. Um, and that's why, you know, a lot of um, uh, analysts are looking at Canada to probably be one of the leaders in terms of, uh, you know, stock market returns uh, this year and potentially in the next year as well, because we have a lot of those, um, you know, uh, exposure to a lot of those sectors that are levered to that economic growth, whether that's commodities or, or industrials as well. Um, you know, using ZIN as an equal weight approach, that gives you equal exposure to all the companies in the sector, which we think is a great way to play it. You know, not only do you have the railroads where you're moving stuff around, but you also have industrial equipment, you have industrial, you have manufacturing, you have capital investment, um, all the different parts that go along with that industrial exposure. And again, equal weight um, gives you exposure to all of those areas as opposed to just, you know, a heavy weighting into maybe a couple of those, those railroads. So having exposure to all of those parts of the industry, we think makes a lot of sense. And again, levered to global growth, not just not just within Canada, even though these are Canadian companies, um, you know, largely North America as well. With the U.S., you, you have railroads going back and forth. You have the commodities that the that the globe needs, um, and we're the ones that have them and are going to move them move them elsewhere. So I think, you know, ZIN is a great way to play that. And we do expect economic growth, we mentioned earlier in the call, to be very, very strong over the next couple of years. Um, so Canada in general is a great way to play that. And, and the industrials in a more uh, focused way are a great way to play that as well.
Yeah, good morning, gentlemen. Uh, I have a two-part question, to, if I may. Um, Alfred, you mentioned uh, earlier the numbers in the U.S. as far as uh, inflation. The, you know, CPI came in higher than expected. Uh, so can I please have your view here on holding cash uh, in this environment? Is, am I being punished here for holding cash? Uh, and secondly, looking forward, uh, should I consider adding some duration to my fixed income portfolio? You know, given that the sell-off that we've seen in long bonds, and as you mentioned earlier, with markets at all-time highs. Thank you. Um, yeah, so that's a good question. I think, uh, you know, inflation is certainly starting to tick up. Um, I think, you know, I don't think you're necessarily going to be punished in cash over the short term. Uh, but I think, you know, as, as, uh, as more and more CPI numbers come out, I think, you know, as I mentioned before, I think potentially inflation could start ticking higher just because of that base effect. So um, I think um, that's going to force a lot of people out of cash over the long term. Uh, but in terms of your question, in terms of, uh, you know, taking duration risk, um, I think, you know, what we're going to see over the next you know, quarter, maybe next two quarters is uh, we've, we've certainly seen a rise in interest rates over the first you know, three months of the year. Uh, but, you know, I think a lot of people, if you're a tactical asset allocation investor or if you're a foreign investor, for example, you know, yields have gone up. Uh, so I think that moderates the rise in, in, in interest rates over the next, uh, you know, as I mentioned, over the next three months, maybe four months. Uh, as a lot of people kind of, you know, take risk off the table, um, you know, as Chris mentioned at the top of the call, I think, you know, when you're looking at equities right now, uh, they've moved quite a bit. So I think a lot of people may potentially take risk off the table, uh, move back into fixed income for the next couple of months, which, uh, you know, which is going to place a natural cap on, on yield. Uh, so I, I think, you know, in terms of duration risk, uh you know, I, I think it makes sense, especially with, uh, you, know, it's, it's, you know, as Chris mentioned, with uh, the potential sell-off in equities or equities potentially moderate a bit, um, having that duration is going to potentially offset uh, some of that equity risk in the, in the portfolio. I'd like to thank everyone once again for joining us today. We appreciate you listening in, and thanks as well for those questions as well. Another thanks to Chris and Alfred. Really appreciate your insights. Uh, some great points that we can all take back to our conversations today. Some good positioning points around ETFs and how to use them in the portfolios. And as always, good timely points relative to what's going on in the markets today. So with that, just want to wish everyone a great day and thanks for joining. Thank you to Chris McKinney, Alfred Lee, and Mark Rays for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. The big takeaway in today's episode is to be cautiously optimistic about equity allocations for the next few months. Having said that, there may be new opportunities in emerging markets as prices have retreated in recent weeks. In that regard, our experts point to the BMO MSCI Emerging Markets Index ETF, ticker ZEM. For a fixed income alternative, consider the BMO Laddered Preferred Share Index ETF, ticker ZIPR, ZPR. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. 
Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.